All right. Welcome back to Rock for Reading Daily. We are currently reading Civil Disobedience by Henry Thoreau. I think this is our fourth episode reading this. We should finish up the essay in this episode and then on the following episode from this one we'll just have a, a discussion about some of the themes and concepts presented in this essay. So let's begin where we left off at on the previous episode. It was formerly the custom in our village when a poor debtor came out of jail for his acquaintances to salute him looking through their fingers, which were crossed to represent the grating of a jail window. Quote, how do ye do? End quote. My neighbors did not thus salute me, but first looked at me. And then at one, and then at, then at one another, as if I had returned from a long journey. I was put into a jail as I was going to the shoemakers to get a shoe which was mended. When I was let out the next morning, I proceeded to finish my errand and, Having put on my mended shoe, joined the Huckleberry Party, who were impatient to put themselves under my conduct. And in half an hour, for the horse was soon tackled, was in the midst of a Huckleberry field on one of our highest hills, two miles off, and then the state was nowhere to be seen. This is the whole history of, quote, my prisons, end quote. I have never declined paying the highway tax, because I am as desirous of being a good neighbor as I am being a bad subject. And, as for supporting schools, I am doing my part to educate my fellow countrymen now. It is for no particular item in the tax bill that I refuse to pay it. I simply wish to refuse allegiance to the state, to withdraw and stand aloof from it effectually. I do not care to trace the course of my dollar, if I could, till it buys a man or a musket to shoot one with, the dollar is innocent, but I am concerned to trace the effects of my allegiance. In fact, I quietly declare war with the state after my fashion, though I still will make what use and get what advantage of her I can, as is usual in such cases. If others pay the tax which is demanded of me from a sympathy with the state, they do but what they have already done in their own case, or rather they abet justice to a greater extent than the state requires. If they pay the tax from a mistaken interest in the individual tax to save his property or prevent his going to jail, it is because they have not considered wisely how far they let their private feelings interfere with the public good. This, then, is my position at present. But one cannot be too much on his guard in such a case, lest his action be biased by obstinacy or in undue regard for the opinions of men. Let him see that he does only what belongs to himself and to the hour. I think sometimes, why, this people mean well. They are only ignorant. They would do better if they knew how. Why give your neighbors this pain to treat you as they are not inclined to? But I think, again, this is no reason why I should do as they do or permit others to suffer much greater of a pain from a different kind. Again, I sometimes say to myself, when many millions of men without heat, without ill will, without personal feelings of any kind, demand of you a few shillings only without the possibility, such as their constitution, of retracing or altering their present demand and without the possibility on your side of appeal to any other millions, why expose yourself to this overwhelming brute force? 
You do not resist cold and hunger, the winds and the waves, thus obstinately. You quietly submit to a, th a thousand similar necessities. You do not put your head into the fire, but just a proportion as I regard this is not wholly a brute force, but, part but partly a human force, and consider that I have relations to those millions as to so many millions of men, and not of mere brute or inanimate things. I see that appeal is possible, first and instantaneously, from them to the maker of them, and secondly, from them to themselves. But if I put my head deliberately into the fire, there is no appeal to make of the fire or the maker of fire, and I have only myself to blame. If I could convince myself that I have any right to be satisfied with men as they are, and to treat them accordingly and not according, in some respects, to my requisitions and expectations of what they and I ought to be, then, like a good muscleman and fatalist, I should endeavor to be satisfied with things as they are, and say it is the will of God. And, above all, there is this difference between resisting this and a purely brute or natural force, that I can resist this with some effect. But I cannot expect, like Orpheus, to change the nature of the rocks and trees and beasts. Okay, and here I'll take a moment to reflect on the passage that we uh, just read through there. I think that <clears throat> I think that one of the things that, and this may just be from uh, again from my perspective, and I, I encourage people as they listen to the listen to these readings and listen to these podcast episodes uh, to listen to them as. Uh, as a, a perspective of of whether a perspective of ideology or a perspective of, a perspective of history, uh, perspective of issues, it's not a, any absolute. I think that one of the most important things about uh, unlearning and relearning new things is to get to a place of uh, not trying to take in anything as an absolute. Uh, so uh, my perspective on some of the final things that Thoreau stated uh, was that there is a it's a privilege to be able to take the good of the state and to uh, try to stay away from the bad of the state or it's a, a privilege to be able to uh, even just the fact that he he went to prison he he went to jail excuse me uh, and came out the next day and he survived going to jail and coming out the next day where well, I'm sure that people who at that same time who were from a, a different uh, social class or a different uh, wealth class uh, didn't survive days in jail or didn't survive uh, being uh, in prison or incarcerated. And I think even when you translate that to trying to uh, balance out where we are at currently and with other people's ideologies, one of the things that I heard from uh, H. Rap Brown, uh, he stated that you can't take any, and I mean, that might be Stokely Carmichael, probably both of them said it, but they stated that you can't take any uh, revolutionary ideology wholesale and bring it over here, that you have to uh, take pieces that fit uh, what your particular struggle is and then remove the pieces that don't fit for your particular struggle. Uh, and I think that we have to get to a place of, uh, of trying to resist even the things that are convenient about the state that we opt into and uh, the things that are convenient about the society that we opt into uh, because the fact is that any convenience that we get from the state or we get from the society until we get a more equitable and a more humane society there's somebody who gets an inconvenience from that convenience there's somebody who gets uh, exploited from uh, 
that uh, particular thing that you may engage in. And uh, I think that uh, it, these are a lot of these things of, or forms of resistance. Uh, they do start out small, though. They do start out by uh, the things that aren't an inconvenience for you to remove yourself from, you remove yourself from. Or the things that aren't an inconvenience for you to try to unlearn or for you to try to change your ide ideology on, uh, those are the things you change first. And so I do think that naturally that is something that happens first, is the things that are the most uh, the, the easiest uncomfortabilities that we have to bear are the first ones that we bear. But I think that we have to always uh, be sort of pushing towards removing all those comfortabilities. And I think that that was partly some of the things that uh, Thoreau touched on in that last uh, passage uh, there as well. So here, I'll pass this over real quick. I do not wish to quarrel with any person or nation. I do not wish to split hairs to make distinct, find distinctions or set myself up as better than my neighbors. I seek rather, I might say, even an excuse for conforming to the laws of the land. I am but too ready to conform to them. Indeed, I have reason to suspect myself on this head, and each year, as the tax gatherer comes round, I find myself disposed to review the acts and position of the general and state governments and the spirit of the people to discover a pretext for conformity. Quote, we must affect our nation, our country as parent, as our parents. And if at any time we alienate our love or industry from doing it honor, we must respect effects and teach the soul matter of conscience and religion and not desire of rule or benefit. I believe that the state will soon be able to take all my work of this sort out of my hands, and then I shall be no better a patriot than my fellow country people. Seen from a lower point of view, the Constitution, with all its faults, is very good. The law and the courts are very respectable. Even the state and this American government are, in many respects, very admirable and rare things. To be thankful for, such as a great many have described them. But seen from a point of view a little higher, they are what I have described them. Seen from a higher still, and the highest, who shall say what they are? or that they are worth looking at or think of, thinking of at all. However, the government does not concern me much, and I shall bestow, bestow the fewest possible thoughts on it. It is not many moments that I live under a government, even in this world. If a person is thought-free, fancy-free, imagination-free, that which which is never not which is not never for a long time appearing to be him to be to him if a person is thought free fancy free imagination free that which is not never for a long time appearing to be to him unwise rulers or reformers cannot fatally interrupt them i know that most people think differently from myself but those whose lives are by profession devoted to the study of these or kindred subjects 
Content me as little as any. States people and legislators standing so completely with the within the institution never distinctly and nakedly behold it. They speak of moving society, but have no resting place without it. They may be people of a certain experience and discrimination and have no doubt invented ingenious and even useful systems for which we sincerely thank them. But all their wit and usefulness lie within certain not very wide limits. They are wont to forget that the world is not governed by policy and expediency. Webster never does go... Webster never goes behind government and so cannot speak without authority about it. His words are wisdom to those legislators who contemplate no essential reform in the existing government. But for thinkers and those who legislate up for all time, he never once glances at the subject. I know of those whose serene and wise speculations on this theme would soon reveal the limits of his mind's range and hospitality. Yet, compared with the cheap, Yet compared with the cheap professions of most reformers and the still cheaper wisdom and eloquence of politicians in general, his are almost the only sensible and valuable words, and we thank heaven for him. Comparatively, he is always strong, original, and above all, practical. Still, his quality is not wisdom, but prudence. The lawyer's truth is not truth, but consistency, or a consistent expediency. Truth is always in harmony with herself and is not concerned chiefly to reveal the justice that may consist with wrongdoing. They well deserve to be called, as they have been called, the defender of the Constitution. There are really no blows to be given by them but defensive ones. They are not a leader but a follower. Their leaders are the people of 87. I have never made an effort, they say, and never proposed to make an effort. I have never countenanced an effort and never mean to countenance an effort to disturb the arrangement as originally made by which the various states come into the Union. Still thinking of the sanction which the, which the Constitution gives to slavery, he says, because it was part of the original compact, let it stand. Notwithstanding his special acuteness and ability, he is unable to take a fact out of its merely political relations and behold it as it lies absolutely to be disposed of by the intellect. What, for instance... It behooves a man to do here in America today with regard to slavery, but ventures or is driven to make some such desperate answer as the following while professing to speak absolutely and as a private man, from which what new and singular code of social duties might be inferred. Quote, the manner, says he, in which the governments of those states where slavery exists are to regulate it 
is for their own consideration under their responsibility to their constituents to the general laws of propriety humanity and justice and to god associations formed elsewhere springing from a feeling of humanity or any other cause have nothing whatever to do with it they have never received any encouragement from me and they never will They who know of no pure sources of truth, who have traced up its stream no higher, stand, and wisely stand, by the Bible and the Constitution, and drink at it there with reverence and humility. But they who behold where it comes trickling into this lake or that pool, gird up their loins once more and continue their pilgrimage towards its fountainhead. Uh, and then uh, I think some of the things that stand out to me about the passage that was uh, just read, uh, <clears throat> I think firstly, again, is the as the uh, hypocrisy of slavery is pointed out as existing during this time period. I, I just think that uh, it's important to to realize how many uh, issues that deal in uh, oppression of people and exploitation of people, specifically people of color and, and women, have our issues of politics. They aren't issues that have anything to do with uh, humanity or they're not issues that have anything to do with uh, right or wrong or uh, they're, they're things that have to do with politics. And so the ab abolishment of slavery happened because of political uh, reasons and it was political implications. It was not because the humanity of the country overnight uh, rose or the empathy or the understanding of the uh, country overnight rose. That was something that was uh, the abolitionist movement was constantly pushing and that was something that was happening through uh, people like Frederick Douglass speaking their truths to power, uh, but also it, it was a, a political decision that Lincoln made and a political decision uh, that went into the uh, Emancipation Proclamation uh, once that was signed in and also even in the Emancipation Proclamation, as most politics are, uh, there was the fact that, you know, four states were able to, that were part of the Union, were able to preserve slavery within that uh, uh, that document. And we see things like that on full display here, how recently when bills were passed that were COVID relief bills or were uh, geared towards uh, pandemic relief efforts, that there will be all types of other things in the back that money would be going to, whether it be uh, sending uh, money for the military defense or of something that nature of what was going on in uh, in Israel and uh, just a, a litany list of other things. We've seen recently uh, where bills wouldn't get passed unless uh, certain parties capitulated to things that the opposite party wanted done. And so I think that when we begin to think about things that exist in our country that have uh, negative implications and that uh, we have to begin to think about why those things still exist. We have to think about the roots of those things. And and so I think that sometimes, uh, again, I think I, I, I used this phrase earlier, but uh, everything that we exist, everything that happens in our lives has political implications. Everything that happens in our lives has uh 
political context to it. And it's just about whose political ends does it serve. And for a specific period of time, it serves some, uh, political ends for black people to be considered three-fifths of human. It served political ends to, as they're speaking about in here, to raid Mexico and, and, and take the country and take the land from the indigenous people of Mexico. It, it serves people's political ends to uh, steal this land from the indigenous people who are here. And so when we sit where we are today, the reason police terrorism continues to exist is because it serves uh, certain sets of people's political ends. The reason that mass incarceration uh, was created and the reason that mass incarceration continues to persist is because it serves a certain set of people's uh, political ends. And this reason that racial injustice is something that has not been eradicated from this society is because it serves people's political ends. Uh, you said we was at the I know right here. Okay, here. all right. We're at the last last little passage right here. Okay. No man with the genius for legislation has appeared in America. They are rare in the history of the world. They are or they are orators, politicians, and eloquent men by the thousand. But the speaker has not yet opened his mouth to speak, who is capable of settling the much vexed questions of the day. We love eloquence for its own sake and not for any truth which it may utter or any heroism it may inspire. Our legislators have not yet learned the comparative value of free trade and of freedom, of union, and of rectitude to a nation. They have no genius or talent for comparatively humble questions of taxation and finance, commerce and manufacturers and agriculture. If we were left solely to the wordy wit of legislators and Congress for our guidance, uncorrected by the seasonable experience and the effectual complaints of the people, America would not long retain her rank among the nations. For 1,800 years, through perchance, excuse me, for 1,800 years, though perchance, I have no right to say it, the New Testament has been written. Yet where is the legislator who has wisdom and practical talent enough to avail himself of the light which it sheds on the science of legislation? The authority of government even such as I am willing to submit to, for I will cheerfully obey those who know and can do better than I, and in many things, even those who neither know nor can do so well, is still an impure one. To be strictly just, it must have the sanction and consent of the governed. It can have no pure right over my person and property but what I concede to it. The progress from an absolute to a limited monarchy, from a limited monarchy to a democracy, is a progress toward a true respect for the individual. Even the Chinese philosopher was wise enough to regard the individual as the basis of the empire. Is a democracy, such as we know it, the last basis of the empire? Excuse me. Is a democracy, such as we know it, the last improvement possible in government? Is it not possible to take a step further towards recognizing and organizing the rights of man? There will never be a really free and enlightened state until the state comes to recognize the individual as higher and independent power, from which all its own power and authority are derived, and treats him accordingly. I please myself with imagining a state at last which can afford to be just to all men and to treat the individual with respect as a neighbor, which even would not think it inconsistent with its own repose if a few were to live aloof from it, not meddling with it, nor embraced by it, who fulfilled all the duties of neighbors and fellowmen.
a state which bore this kind of fruit and suffered it to drop off as fast as it ripened, will prepare the way for a still more perfect and glorious state, which also I have imagined, but not yet anywhere seen. And that is the end of the civil disobedience essay. That brings us to about 24 minutes, so we got a little bit of time to reflect on that final passage. Uh, one second. Got a little bit of time to reflect on that final passage. So I think the thing that uh, stands out to me uh, first, first off from reading that final passage is the, uh, the understanding that Thoreau had uh, that he did not have the answers to some of the problems that he's seen in his time. I think that far too often we have uh, people, whether it be people who are speaking about the problem or be people who are dealing with the problem, who approach it from this aspect that they have the answers to deal with things that have existed uh, for generations. And I think we have to get uh, we have to remove ourselves from that type of thought process. Those are usually the type of ideas and concepts and uh, that lead to creating more problems and not creating solutions. I think we have to get to a place where uh, we acknowledge that our, our first our first hindrance is that uh, our first hindrance in dealing with the problems that we have here, the issues that we have here is that all of our existences and all of our realities are so immersed in these issues uh, that it's going to take uh, a long time to fix any of them. So we have to be comfortable with working for progress. We have to be comfortable with being part of the process. We have to be comfortable with, uh, with posing the problem and uh, maybe not being the people who have the solutions. I think that another one of the things that he pointed out there that I think is very important is uh, he spoke about the lack of, uh, of adequate legislators that have existed. And I think that that's something that is uh, very true of our current times now, especially the last 50 to 60 years where you can see uh, uh, the removal of funds being funneled into uh, things like poverty programs and food programs and the increasing of funds being funneled to things such as uh, weapons of mass destruction and military operations and police operations and I think that those are all uh, functions of, of poor legislation as well I think that uh, and I think that again when we start speaking about how many things in our lives have political implications uh, legislation has a lot to do with the things in our lives that have some of those implications and so I think that uh, uh, before I pass the mic off I think one of the things that is the most important about this essay from uh, my standpoint is the the mixing of what would be considered sort of electoral politics with speaking about uh, legislation and taxation things that are closer towards uh, that that nature of politics and putting an emphasis on that and also putting an emphasis on what I consider to be higher politics which are things like uh, protesting and demonstration which are things like uh, uh, communicating and organizing around issues and uh, I believe that this uh, this these writings this philosophy ideology of Thoreau that is written in this moment also provides sort of a, a blueprint for beginning to have your own ideology and your own philosophy about some of the issues that are uh, facing us in the society. Uh, as 
Thoreau wraps up this essay and in this final paragraph he he speaks about uh, the individual and uh, what the what the what the appropriate relationship between the state and the individual uh, would be. Uh, Yeah, the the progress from an absolute to a limited monarchy, from a limited monarchy to a democracy, is a progress towards a true respect, re, toward a true a true respect respect for the individual. Um, and I think what Thoreau is missing here uh, is important uh, that these this progress has not been achieved by individuals it's been achieved by collective actions uh, we've uh, progressed from the greater oppression that these former uh, institutions uh, put on the people but it wasn't the individual that that uh, achieved that progress uh, and I think it's predictable that Thoreau would miss this, given his station in life. That his socioeconomic class is that of a of a white man that probably isn't impoverished, as far as was not impoverished, as far as I know. And that's why I think it it's uh, understandable that he'd put this importance on the individual. Uh, because people of privilege are not put under the same pressure as as uh, marginalized people, and they can afford to uh, to have this individualistic mindset. But marginalized people uh, have all right. Sorry, that segment got cut off there right at the end after that, after that final point got made. Uh, I think that in to just to summarize this last passage, actually, I'm not going to try to summarize the last passage. I, I think that the notes that I, the points that I made at the very end of my reading uh, suffice. I think that I think that one of the things that is the most important about all of these different readings that we're doing is. Uh, the author and the things being written about challenges whatever perspective or whatever ideology or philosophy or belief system that somebody has in the current moment uh, i do believe that what that the, some, of the, some of the things presented by thoreau the self-sacrifice that he presented the desire to opt out of society or opt out of uh, parts of the state that he deemed to be uh, against his belief I think that those are all things that are challenging the status quo that even exists right now. I think that you can also look at the his aversion to slavery and his aversion to the war that was in Mexico as something that for his time period was challenging what the status quo of belief systems were. And if you bring that to where we are currently today, if you think about whether it be Islamophobia or transphobia, homophobia, whether it be uh, anti-black rhetoric uh it it's 
mainstream thought is not to challenge those things, is to try to ignore those things or pretend we live in this colorblind society. Uh, the same way that people at that point in time pretend they lived in a society that was out with without slavery. That's why it was not even mentioned in the uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, and so I think that one of the other and then the, one of the other last points I want to point out is his aversion to the war in Mexico, again, is something that is uh, counter to what mainstream society's belief is, is in our country. When our country goes to war, it's uh, not it's not something it's not something that people comfortably speak out against uh, it was one of the things that was specific about the vietnam wars that was one of the first wars that people were able to pr uh, organize around and change the perception and to get the american public to uh, be against the war and to not be supportive of the war we've seen uh in in the most recent war in the war in iraq and in afghanistan one of the main main attributes of the war was the propaganda that was put out to keep people uh, agreeing with the the ideology that uh, had us at war with uh, those people over there or with the people that's over there excuse me and so uh, well but again we'll this next episode what we'll do is we'll just talk about multiple different issues that were presented and ideologies that were presented throughout the entirety of the essay I'll have uh, some notes like how I have for the last three readings that we've done and run through some of those notes. I'll have something uh, written and run through the piece that I have written as well. Uh, and so I want to encourage anybody who may be listening to this episode and has not listened to the previous episodes of Rock for Reading Daily, where we read through Thoreau's civil, uh, essay on civil disobedience. Please go back and listen to those episodes. I would also encourage you to read this yourself. This is a, a shorter uh, writing than some of the other ones that we've done but the manner that it is written in I think that is probably something that is uh, maybe good to get the first time through listening but it's probably better to uh, read to digest a little bit better the second time uh, which is what I did myself the first time I interacted with this piece of literature I listened to it through YouTube and then this time I, I read through it personally so I want to thank you for taking time to listen to this episode of Rafa Reading Daily Please, if you have not listened to previous episodes, go back and listen to those previous episodes. Our first reading, our first reading was Have Black Lives Ever Mattered by Mamiya Abu-Jamal. Our second reading was Race Matters by Cornell West. Our third reading was uh, Citizens, Cops, and Power by Steve Herbert. And now we just finished reading Civil Disobedience by uh, Henry Thoreau. Our next reading will be Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis. So uh, we just want to continue to read all these different pieces and, and add them to our puzzle, add different elements and, and concepts to our uh, to our, our our armory, our mental armory. And so that way we can go out and we can articulate the importance of struggling against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice in Rockford, Illinois and Winnebago County and uh, in America as a whole. So we outside.